0: Welcome back to the Mind, Heart and Muscle Podcast. This oh man, this is a special episode because we are rejoined once again by our dear friend Chase Tollison. In this in this conversation with Chase, we start off with a ton <laughs> of laughs. As is the usual um, when when you get to talk to Chase. He is his energy that he brings to uh, to a room, albeit virtual or otherwise, is electric, and and it rubs off. We also talk about death and how to deal, how to manage emotions, and how to process death. We talk about adventure. We talk about mindset, we talk about leadership, we talk about education, as always the, as, as always, in conversations with Chase and Ron and myself, we're all over the place and we ask a lot of questions and we get three guys together who are curious about life and the world, something's going to happen, something magical is going to happen, this was a great, great catch up with our buddy Chase, Um, I'm excited that I'm going to get to see him pretty soon in person at at a live event. And with that said, I'd like to welcome you, invite you to a live event. This coming April, April 3rd to be exact, we're gathering a group of bold individuals, bold people who are ready to get out of their comfort zone and try something new, people who are already exploring uh, internal personal growth and who are ready to take that to the next level, people who like to make themselves, quote-unquote, as you'll hear in this story, death-resistant. April 3rd is the Day of Discomfort, part two, because we did one before. This time is going to be different. This time we're meeting up again at Tried and True in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I believe it's in Williamsport, Ron Fitness Facility, where you'll get to work out, do something a bit different with your workout, something intentional, something you can feel and process and, and uh, internalize, something that's hard. We're going to do breath work. We're going to do journaling. Things that get uncomfortable physically and emotionally. And if you're used to getting yourself uncomfortable physically, then it's no longer uncomfortable. What's uncomfortable is doing the hard stuff, doing the things you don't normally do, and you know it's good for you. We're going to get outside on a nice hike where we play some curiosity games with each other, where we get to learn about other people. And this may be out of your comfort zone as well. We're going to spend some time digging into the things that scare us, scare you, the fears you hold around certain things, and burn them down. Burn those ships. Figuratively and literally, we're going to burn some stuff, we're going to have a fire. And after that, after all is said and done, and the cleanup is finished, we'll spend some time together, building community, enjoying good people, and you will walk away with a new perspective. You will leave this event, the Day of Discomfort, with a grand view on life, what you can do with it, what you have to offer, and a plan for how you can do that, how you can make a difference in yourself, and in all of the people around you. I invite you to share this with us, to share this time with us, the Day of Discomfort, April 3rd, Sunday. Book it now. Link is in the the description, the comments of this episode, and you can check us out on mysummit.academy.com find information there, get signed up. Shoot us a DM as well. We'll, We're happy to send you the information and talk about any questions you might have. This is only for people who are ready to challenge themselves physically and mentally and emotionally and who want to make a difference, who want to change, who want to do something bigger with their lives. And, uh, And we're going to do it in in the most fun way possible. Again, DM us on Instagram. Shoot us an email. However you can get in touch with us. And we'll share that information with you. Get you signed up. Get you prepared. And share some discomfort together. Enjoy the rest of this show, my friends. You're going to...
1: one second ron (laughs) what what do you know about the millennium falcon
2: shit you're putting me on the spot i i cannot form a single memory right now at all something about the fastest in the galaxy
1: (laughs) you think it dive bombs it's it's uh prey and can break them in half
3: (laughs) no fun no (laughs) Han, han solo and shrek the ogre dress the same.
2: oh my god they do
3: you just ruined star wars for me
2: <laughs> did you ruin star wars or make shrek better like
3: Ooh.
2: shrek i mean shrek's already awesome so there's a conversation. That's perspective
1: right there i mean now i'm going to be watching star wars and picturing a green ogre wielding a lightsaber which you know is not really unrealistic in the star wars universe
2: actually <laughs> no,
3: it's, it's 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 probably happening. It's
1: probably part. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Chase,
3: how I, here's
1: a question for you. It's been, it's, this has been on my mind for the last 11 minutes. <laughs> how on a scale of um, one to 11, how death resistant are you? Ooh, 12.
3: Like, wait, I'm sorry. Like how death proof am I like as a human being, how much have I death proof myself? Or how like mentally resistant to death am I? Okay, yes. (laughs) What
1: is the difference to those things? (laughs) In in overall, yeah, overall resistance. Maybe the the, proof is different.
3: There's two two answers that come to mind. One, uh, how death like mentally resistant am I? The only thing that makes me not completely explorative around what's on the other side right now is the people I would leave behind myself. I'm good dying. Like, let's go, let's go see what it is. Cause right now, this is just a moment in time. Uh, That being said, I don't know if either of you guys know this yet. uh, My little brother passed away like three weeks ago tomorrow and seeing the, how it does tear people apart that are left on this plane. I'm like, no, I'm going to stick this one out. Like, but for my personal resistance, like I, I would jump right in and how like death proof am I like 13 out of 11, like, um, try it. <laughs>
1: That's what I'd like to hear. And thank you for sharing that.
2: James. Now, would you, would you, uh, correlate that with your time in the military?
3: Uh, um, death, like death proof physically. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, um, time in the military. Sure. And I turned wrenches like, uh, and there were 36 hour days in 120 degree engine rooms. So like, while I was not jumping out of planes and like learning about death being truly, truly death resistant, um, yes. And, uh, I believe it's something you embody as well. Like I, I honestly believe that something is going to have to really, 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 really ridiculously good looking, really terribly (laughs) happy. Yeah. To get me.
2: Like someone would have to try really hard or there'd have to be a really bad accident.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, On the mental side of it though, uh, that has been uh, forged by uh, language and identity work and being comfortable with who I am and uh, psychedelics.
1: When I asked the question, um, I wasn't even thinking on the mental side. And when you brought that up, it it, uh, it got me thinking a lot, uh, thinking about the the, the the biggest fear um, and I've been talking to a lot of people lately um, asking a lot of questions doing interviews with people and learning a lot about um, how I can best serve people and and I asked I asked the question you know like what what are you afraid will happen if you if you fail or if you don't achieve the things you want um, and the the fear of, of death and dying come, tends, to, tends to come up often, regardless of what the, the dream state is for a person, the goal of a person. There's, that, there's, there's some fear that, that people have where they believe if, if they don't reach or, or accomplish the things that they've set out to do and they die, there, there's, there's anxiety around that, that whole concept, like getting, getting to your deathbed and having regrets. I suppose.
3: That's a, a fantastic point, and uh, sums up well why to live, live a life well lived, to go after what you want, and take action, like decide and thug it the fuck out. <laughs> what does That's,
1: that take? What does that take to? to live after the life you want to live. and like like you and I and, and Ron and the people we dance around with have we've gotten real comfortable with uh, with being, let's let's call it being flexible and adapting. We've gotten really comfortable with that. So like we're, what, what do you do if that's not part of your uh, your person yet if you if you struggle with change and, and adapting to things because I imagine, when we get to, to the end, whatever takes us out, um, albeit a a Falcon or otherwise, Uh, um, what is, um, you know, I imagine that we're going to look back and at all the things we've done and say, okay, that's, that's pretty good. I like it. Take me
3: away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting that you go here. There's a parallel to this, the thought I had on my walk, before we got on and how the identity work and the the mindset work and taking care of your meat suit are synergistic and it's not one or the other and pick one and take one step forward. My answer to like somebody who has yet to lean into taking action and doing things that are fulfilling, pick one thing on either side of that on mentally becoming who you want to be or on physically and health wise, becoming who you want to be on who you want to be in your relationships, because as you start to up level, you're going to find your weak links in other areas. So pick one thing to start moving. And if you do it well, the rest will start to follow suit.
2: That's what I was thinking about as you were uh, presenting that thought was, man, as soon as you start moving one in the right direction, like the, like that some of those others are bound to follow. And if some of them get left behind, when you have the time to focus on those other ones, you're going to be able to move them quicker than you would have before. Like, it's just, it's so much easier, in my opinion, to like tackle shit. For me, one, if I have it on paper laid out in front of me, okay, what do I got to do? You know, which is what helps my mindset. It helps my mindset and my motivation to be able to get things done. Is if I can see it as a a, a thing to accomplish on a list, I'm golden, and I know that every time that like I'm cruising through a hard workout or, uh, you know, when I was in a tough sparring situation, like it's just like, okay, breathe, keep pushing forward. Like those, those situations are temporary and, and it's no different than working on your mindset. Like the work that you do on your mindset, it's just, it's just a short period of time when you're actually working on it. And then it becomes habitual.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And sooner or later, all those pieces, like, yes, you can, one will lag at times. And then the other one you're working on until you've going up to par and they may do this ladder where they overlap each other at times and cool. They're both going to move up over time or all of them depend, you know, however far you want to break this down, you know, w- pick areas of life and you could go really deep, you know, relationships, you know, work this, that sooner or later, if you're working on something and you want to keep improving, you're going to have to up-level the rest of it too. There's
1: a, um- and to, to bring some clarity to this conversation, because I really like it. And um, I imagine people listening or thinking, um, you know, what are all these things they're talking about? <laughs> you just mentioned a few, though, like like relationships and let's say we could say work. And um, we brought up yep. the word fulfillment before. And, and that's something we talk about a lot. And before this call, me and Ron were brainstorming uh, a couple of things like, you know, what does it mean to be fulfilled at work? Um, or in your life, what does it mean to, uh, what, what is like pursuing healthy relationships mean what things are necessary. And, and and these are all, uh, a lot of the things we're, we're bringing up, we've brought up Mm -hmm. is like, um, like moving in the right direction on some of these things, like getting closer toward, um, having more freedom with your time or getting closer toward, uh, meaningful work or making more money or push pursuing healthy relationships. And, and what parallels I notice is that a lot of these things um, they're going to kind of improve as we improve one, like start with one thing. And, and the reason for that is they, they have these common themes, right? These common, you, you have your common issues and they spread to each individual part of your life. And as you work on the, the singular thing, It's good. You're going to start seeing changes in all these different cups, right? And all the different buckets of your life. Like for example, mine, uh, that I've been working on for years, a couple of years now is my communication skills. And look how that's improved my relationships, my, um, business, my friendships, my, um, my hobbies, simply by picking out these little weak points, areas, how do you, how uh, like I identified that pretty, pretty early on. What's, what's a way people can identify some of their weak points though?
2: Hmm.
3: That's so I love the, the angle you took on that. And if we extrapolate it, like they may not know it's communication, right? So what's something they want to get better at? Like, and the, the parallel draw is like, they know they want to lose weight. They want to weigh X amount. Hmm. They don't know that it's because they're eating too much, you know, or whatever. So they know they want to get better in the relationships. Okay, cool. Now start like a checklist, figure out what a healthy relationship looks like and what you want out of it. And engage your knowledge, figure out what's not there and start working on that. That, that would be work it backwards in my head.
2: Hmm reverse engineer what you want figure out figure out what's missing and then Mm yeah get it
1: gives you a gives you a good um good starting point i love the i love the um the exercise of like vision casting like projecting yourself 10 years into the future five years into the future closing your eyes and just thinking about like what are the things you want us you want in your life like who do you want to sleep next to and where do you want to wake up and what do you want to do for breakfast? And, and, and these things start to create other ideas.
3: So where were you guys 10 years ago? Mm. This is a fun one. Like this is a great perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
1: journaled about this recently.
2: Two Yeah. 2011.
1: Where was Ron white?
2: Where was I? I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was in, I was in yeah. college, and uh, what, was, what was I doing? Yeah, I was in college, actively uh, swimming almost every day. Um, and at night, I would stay up really late and go out drinking all the time and per- pursued this really unhealthy relationship with exercise and with my, <laughs> with, with my body, <laughs> with people. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's where I was ten years ago.
2: I was I was coaching at CrossFit Lewisburg, and, and I was in a rolling marriage and terrified to talk about it. And oh, what else? Uh, I was obsessed with yeah, the same. I was obsessed with an an unhealthy relationship with exercise. And well, not necessarily unhealthy, but pursuing exercise for goals that were important at the time and mentally, physically damaging. And I didn't know yet. I I had, I had yet to experience, uh, how, um, how it could affect me being that as obsessed as I was and, yeah that's that's uh scary to think about.
3: <laughs> it's a trip, right? I
2: yeah
3: let's see December 2011, I had just gotten back from my first deployment in the Navy. So I was in San Diego. Uh, and about this time, I had just got medical dropped from uh, rescue swimmer school because my ears did not like going up and down 14 feet mm-hmm. in the pool multiple times on end. so. It's so, I, I know you guys get this one and it's so crazy. Like interesting, not crazy. it's very interesting and perspective given when you look in the past and you're like, oh, that's where I was. And like day to day, it feels like everything could be moving so slow. If that's where I was 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Where can I be now with everything that I know?
2: And with how much more we can learn.
3: Exactly, you're starting over at the top right now. You're at your you're at your highest peak you've ever been to, most likely. Maybe a valley off of it. Mm-hmm. You have. Where can you go in another ten years? Ten years seems uh, it. It
1: seems so far off, and yet we. And I've noticed this as I as I'm getting older. Ten years seems like a very small amount of time. Like I used to. Um, I used to think about life in terms of days and weeks and months and and what was right in front of me and um, and because of that I I tended to chase like instant gratification and I was I was usually looking for things that would satisfy the now right um, versus being able to take a step back slow down plan and think and think out. So, so we look forward now 10 years and I can realistically conceive of doing, taking baby steps towards something, toward doing something I want to do 10 years from now. Um, And I love that you brought up that, um, that thought process of looking back, you know, when in 2011 and, and trace your steps over that time, like year to year, I'm sure you can visualize and imagine what changes you were going through at the time what you have felt and what uh, what kind of hobbies you had and what your relationships were like or even this like where were you in re- in relation to the thing you're doing now was it even an idea was it even a uh, was it something you actually wanted that's that's a cool question where you know 10 years ago were you um, were you in any shape Way, shape, or form, expecting to be a uh, gym owner, podcast host, uh, language connoisseur,
3: or or be on a podcast with three of them at once. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um. <laughs> that's that's nuts, man. I, and that one is nuts. I'll I'll, I'll keep that word, like, because in twenty eleven. I had yet to even decide I was going to open a gym. Like I I got my CrossFit level one, March of 2012. So now I'm looking at the next evolution after the gym. Like I have surpassed the goal I set after 2011. That was supposed to be like the thing for the rest of my life. And calling it back to the beginning with people dying with anxiety about what they didn't do think so many people out there get into this well i was going to be an accountant for the rest of my life so that's what i'm doing and they ignore that gut feeling that Mm -hmm. calling to go be more and do more and and comp. i mean for the accountant to build
2: yeah before you jumped on chase that's what matt and i were talking about about like what what are things that are scary you know matt asked me how i felt about this this quote here the best things in life are on the other side of fear and and to me it it immediately came out to me as a road to hell motivator which i know that you can understand what i'm talking about there and um it, it does have some truth to it though like let's think about some awesome things that are scary becoming a parent um Extensive travel, relocating, pursuing a new job. And, and, and that was what you just said about the accountant. Who's like, I don't want to be an accountant anymore, but all I know how to do is be an accountant. Yeah. That's, that's scary. Like to like, that's, that's why the male suicide rate is as high as it is right now is because, you know, all of these dudes have one didn't experience a rite of passage as a teenager and then two are in positions in their life where they're fucking miserable you know yeah they're 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 married to a woman that they got together with when they were 24 22 before their brain was even fully developed and their relationship has become stagnant. It's lost all it's fun. And their job is boring and they can just go to work and like go through the motions and still accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished. Like what joy do you get? Like,
3: well, we know about language and stories and programming, right?
2: Yeah, we do. When
3: we're, well, yeah, well, we, we, we do. Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's our job to get this message out there that Mm -hmm. it's, it's, really like that fear and that distrust of making the jump that's been programmed into them because we're told go to school get the paper get the wife get the house build the family uh save enough money to maybe be able to retire well when you're 65 and if you're lucky you'll get to use your body too like if you're that's lucky that's the story if you're lucky and that's the story that we were fed growing up and that people are continuing to be fed like so to your point, how do we, how do we get the accountant before he has accepted the story that, that being an accountant is the only thing out there? How do we, how do we get it from the front end?
1: That's interesting because there, and, and the the thought that's coming to mind is, is the, the, the quote unquote accountant is the, the identity of that person that they're assuming. And, and we, the, the other story that we're told is that you can't you have to be a thing or you have to be someone, something. And we get attached. There's there's a lot of attachment to that identity. Same reason why it's really challenging um, for people um, to change jobs, change relationships, things like that, get out of things that are that they know are bad for them, and yet they continue to dive in because they get wrapped up in the identity this and I've been having this conversation over and over for the last few weeks with people identity is so much it's so fluid in reality we can use what we have we can use the identities when it's convenient like if uh if an accountant went and joined the military and then when they got out of the military they decided to become a ski instructor and then after that they decided to join the fire department now that person has so many skills and they're likely going to be able to do a lot but they're get they get to use each skill when they when it's necessary when it benefits them or when it's valuable
3: that so well said like awesome awesome point and take on that like and that Is that, or is that not the victim mentality? Have we just like been circling around that, that they are finding their worth outside of themselves. And if, am I picking this up, right? What what you're saying is that when we turn it back inward and we identify, we create our identity from within, then the need for those external relationships or job or this or that to be our identity goes away.
1: That's accurate. It, 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 It definitely is. uh, It is the victim mentality. And well, since you open that can of worms, there's (laughs) 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 (laughs)
2: to,
1: to answer your question from before, how do we get on the front end of the um, of that belief of that system that gets created, right? There's, I imagine uh, there there's a point in, in life, right. As we go through our, our our hero's journey from day one right born to now right there's points where something happens that's a traumatic event and from that point on we have a certain there's a system of things in place a belief right Uh, a common couple of phrases the story we tell ourselves about this certain thing like school job uh, whatever identity of that specific thing based on that one point. So where, where, where do we begin to start? That was redundant. Where do we begin with identifying the, the specific point in time, the front end of somebody really insisting that they can only ever be an accountant. And that's what they are for the rest of their lives. Even if they're miserable,
2: a hostile takeover of public education.
1: Ooh, I say say that again louder for the the gentleman in the back and stare at the screen while you do it because I like that phrase.
2: (laughs) A hostile takeover of public education. I mean, that's the only way to get in front of it. We have to acknowledge the fact that what public education was created for doesn't negation acknowledge work anymore. It was created for factory workers it was created for people who were on the assembly line it was created for people to 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 segregate who was going to be a doctor who was going to be a lawyer who was going to be a cog on the machine right and
1: uh, you know sometimes and the conditioning to be a follower to be a uh, to to not go against the grain of uh, i i i overlords you know
2: I often like to think about, um, just a little sidetrack here for a second, is how many Seneca's, how many Aristotle's? how many, how do you say it, Lao Tzu or how, whatever it is, how many of those people that we all relate to and quote on a regular basis, how many were there really? Those were just the famous ones. Yeah. Like.
1: Same amount of people that have a podcast about
2: mindset exactly yes. exactly that's how we get in front of it we we connect
1: we Chase can, got a we, book what is that
2: we hold on a second here cut down no, i'm letting them finish, letting them finish. <laughs> we we keep bridging we keep we keep connecting with other people that are like-minded and we keep putting out our message and we tell as many people as we can as often as we can because if one person positively benefits from something that we have to say on any given day then we did our part
3: okay i'm gonna yes i just got this facebook message this morning after my post around identity and uh uh, a woman that a a couple years younger than me uh know her through some people your ability completely unprompted like no no prior conversation our messenger chat before this Your ability to motivate and pick others up while fighting your own struggles is truly inspirational, Chase. Your words reach people in ways you couldn't imagine. And I've looked forward to them being the first thing I read every morning for months, thinking of you and your family. And I replied, and then this next one. Today is my first day off of work in nine days. Your words got me out of bed and out of a very dark, unhealthy mindset that I've gotten way too comfortable in. Today, I'm 60 days alcohol, nicotine, weed free, And I'm actually on my way to the gym now. Working out has become an outlet for all the anxiety and depression that I've suppressed for longer than I'm comfortable admitting. Thanks for showing me and so many others what our minds and our bodies are capable of overcoming. You're making a huge impact and it means the world. And both y'all motherfuckers have people like that in your feed. Mm -hmm. Everybody in our circle has people like that in their feed. So to, to get right behind your point, like, yes, 100%. That's huge. And did I interrupt? Dude, do you have any more yeah. I, I want to make sure
2: uh, I, I got my, fired up there? My, mm-hmm. my my main point was about how <clears throat> how uh, I'm I'm 30. I'm 38. Chase, how old are you? 33. Alderigo, 33, Matt's 30. So we learned we learned these ways. For me, for me over the, you know, it it started with, it started with fitness and progressed into mindset and, but we, but we learn these things well into our developed life. Imagine, imagine the people that the lives that Kristen is going to affect with her book.
3: I was just going to say, it's already started.
2: And and we're and we're uh, we're sitting down with her next week to talk about the book, and it, it's so exciting, man. Like I've read that to my daughter twice already, and the second time she asked for it, she was like, "Can we read this again?" Like, See, hey, you're dude, mm.
1: <laughs> you just yes. got chased, Pumped yes. up.
2: Well, and yes. and have you have you have you seen Andy Frisella's children's books? No, I'm afraid dude. of what that might those are phenomenal. They're <laughs> yeah. phenomenal. Yes. They're super motivating and uplifting and encouraging. And they tell, they give great lessons, man. Like <clears throat> it's.
1: So the information there's, there's a lot out there doing a lot of the work we do. And, and that goes to like what you asked before, like how many, how many of them were there? Like how many of the the stoic philosophers or the great thinkers of time and there's so 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 many, and it's and it's it's a matter of especially now because there's, I, I imagine, now and and when like let's say Marcus Aurelius was alive, there's eleven times as many people on the earth, so there needs to be eleven times more people, right, spreading that yeah. message. So the people like for writing these books and our friend Kristen. Um, and then everything that we've we've done and accomplished, and talking to people like you, Chase, and yeah, it's 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 bound it's to spread. It's bound to it's bound to spread and get to people, and and it depends of who like who are the people that
3: uh, that need to hear it. It's insane. I grabbed this when we were talking about education. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Dummy us down, John Taylor Dato. He also has. Uh, yeah. Weapons of Mass, uh, I'm going to mess it up. It's it's a, it's a not Weapons of Mass Destruction, but, uh, and it's related to education as well. And he was New York State Teacher of the Year. Nobody has ever won it twice except for him. He's the only individual to ever win it twice, and he did it two years in a row. And he left public education, and he wrote these books around compulsory schooling and public ed- education education. And makes phenomenal points in there. And I believe it was in his book, uh, the county in which compulsory schooling was started has never had as high of a literacy rate as before compulsory schooling. The entire K through 12 12 education can be taught in something like 180 school days. It's been proven. it's It's... Yes, a hostile takeover of the education system. Let's go.
1: That's interesting, man. I I didn't know that statistic. Like like to be able to teach the entire um, curriculum of education in, in such a short period of time, and and I imagine, and I you know just my own personal beliefs around schools, and we can dive into that another time. But there, you know, there's uh there, there's a lot of the the content we could call it of education, the curriculums that are really really biased really really mm. useless and subjective and only only useful when you need to be reminded of it like the conditioning part of it like and, and a lot of it, it granted is cultural pride like we want to be pride in our country so we learn american history and and, and our it's role written in global by history. the winners yeah of course but it, right our our yeah. role our perspective yeah. of of history and but all that stuff like to, to make a solid human being at the age of 17 right they, they don't need to know half of that stuff no. or more than half
3: one would argue like like, like there's a therapist sent this to me a while back and we we're talking about reading and he said it was something along the lines of you know you'll go to school Uh, You'll graduate, you'll go to college, you'll get a degree, you'll get a job. And then one day, if you're lucky, you will pick up a book and start your education.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. That is so true. Uh, Chase, the the book you were referencing is Weapons of Mass Instruction.
1: Instruction. Yes.
2: I'm going to have to check those out. Those those seem very interesting.
3: Have y'all had Adam Chin on? Not yet, no. Okay. If, if you want somebody to go down the rabbit hole of <laughs> uh, public education, Absolutely. he's your guy.
2: He he briefly touched on it during the episode with Kingsbury.
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he touched on it in his Alpha Hippie episode, too. Hmm. That's uh, e- education um, and
1: what to do with it and how to get in front of it. Like Ron said, um, one of my, one of the things on my, you know, vision board is, is creating a school 10 years from now. So within the next 10 years that empower mm -hmm. that empowers people, empowers children and kids um, and adults to, uh, to step into like themselves and get to know themselves better. It's 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 going to happen.
3: That's so very cool.
1: That's the radical action. I I imagine is is you know playing that small role. Like
3: that's badass, man. That I've heard talks of uh, like um, people like, what if there was an an lifted university, university, mm-hmm. and we just have lifted coaches and lifted teachers teaching lifted things and totally on board. Hmm. <laughs> I,
2: what, what that's <laughs> why I see so much I see so much value in <clears throat> getting as many you know teachers, people like teachers, youth uh, youth sports coaches like it is the more that we can influence them, the more that we can influence the next generations that come what is the
1: thing what is this the problem that that these uh let's say teachers now um people who have the influence over the kids over children who are really malleable and whose minds are um fragile really who what's the problem that these teachers have that we we want to solve with our our knowledge what what are they really struggling with in terms of getting the right um getting in getting to be able to educate kids the right way or in a way that's actually going to support them for the rest of their lives
2: their stories their communication their their identity their lack of fulfillment their their 10 years into their teaching and being like, oh fuck, I don't want to do this. Rock, get <laughs> then- out of my head. Well that, <laughs> yeah. What about what
1: about though the you know, and and the three of us live in three completely different parts of the country. And I imagine our public school systems are, are very, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty drastically. Um, with general things, you know, a lot of general things being the same, but there's a lot of things that I imagine are, are different and that's, that's not because of the teachers or the, right. That's, that's the, or the administration. It's the, it's the government, it's the city, it's the pol- the politics of where you live Yeah, that, totally. that use education to control the, their environment, right. To control what happens within the the within that city with you know
2: is, or is their so political much, system is there so much wrong with what they're teaching or how they're teaching I mean I yes. under I, I understand yeah I know that's yeah it's a it's well, a well yes. that's there's there's it's definitely a, two angles it's a to both. It.
1: Yeah. yeah there's definitely yeah. two angles and the the what is is really important. For sure, because there's a lot of stuff that could, that we're missing. Like, what what things, um, what things did we only start learning when we turned like 22 or 23, and we opened our first book about business, or we listened to our first podcast? And then on the other side, the other angle is the teachers like being able to process the information they're getting and then deliver it to to children in a way that keeps them um, inspired and working hard and learning.
3: I, that, that spurs, uh, an inquisitive nature. We talk about the first book and if I may, I'd like to toss this out there. Yeah. What was the book you guys read that first, like popped your eyes open to the, I have more to learn. And that taught you enough that you knew that there was more to learn, whether it's fiction, nonfiction,
1: I read a book, uh, when I was, oh man, it might've been eight or nine years ago today, eight or nine years ago. Now, um, two actually that come to mind when you ask that question, one was called, um, uh, the way of the peaceful warrior. Um, it's a, it's a fiction novel and it's a, it follows the, the story of a guy working, uh, just out of college, um, you know going to get a, a fancy job but then he meets this guy at a gas station who seems happier than anyone he's ever seen in his life and it turns out this guy um, studies the mind and uh, breath work and things like that and it it ended up where this guy left his uh, corporate job in san francisco to um to start teaching people and traveling and um spreading these things and and yeah that was that was one of them it was opening this it opened up this concept of or this idea that we can choose our path we can we can do the things um outside of what we've been taught and the other book is is the alchemist another another fiction novel similar idea all about following omens um, following what's in front of you going with the flow saying yes to adventure and yes to new opportunities
3: that's words. such an impactful read <clears throat> uh especially considering how how quick of a read it is yeah oh yeah yeah why are well, you wrong
2: the first one that comes to mind is mind gym by gary mack it's a sports psychology book um it was the first time i have ever read or heard the concept of you're not in control of what happens to you you're you're only in control of how you react to it and like that was like so eye opening for me in the sense of like you said there's so much more to learn you know and um and then recently one that's been a huge influence on my life it's the first book that i seriously finished the last page and went right back to the first page which was spark uh by uh dr john rady um and it's all about exercise and how it affects the brain and stuff like that and it's and because for the longest time i had i knew because of experience that hey when i work out i feel good i was like but why and from start to finish that book explains it all and a, a lot of a lot of what drives us to do, to to step into discomfort and do hard shit is actually because of what our what happens in our brain when we do it uh, those two books were like oh you have so much more to learn
3: that's that's awesome. That's uh, I've yet to read Spark. I'm gonna check that out. It actually, was, it
1: actually talks about oh, a a neighborhood right near you, uh, Naperville. Oh, that's where, yeah, that's about where a lot an of hour away. Place. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, my wife used to work in Naperville. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, mine is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Uh,
2: isn't that really big? That's a really big book, isn't it?
3: 700 page or maybe more yeah uh, a lot of pages tiny thought <laughs> took me months to read on the planet.
2: Like, and
3: I'm it's, on that it's in the now. 50s yeah are you how, how far through are you
1: uh i'm i'm listening to it on audible and i'll tell you it's it's 62 hours total And I've got, I've got, (laughs)
2: I've
1: got 56 left. So I, you know what? I love the story. Um, I I really am interested in it. And I, I, I know I have a good idea of the premise. It was explained to me and um, I, it's, I want to listen to it over time. And, and uh, I'm going back
3: and forth between like five other books.
2: I just, I I just added it. it. I just added it to my audible.
3: Dude, it's a race. It's a race. Uh, Ayn Rand is such such a descriptive author. They tried making Atlas Shrugged movies. At one, they didn't get the budget they deserved. Two, you can't you you cannot cast them because the person that looks like the character that can play the character does not exist. Because she described she described Daphne Taggart down to her fingers and what her bony fingers look like. Like so, when you go to that level, it's And the storytelling in there, and there's a quote from later on in the book that I've tattooed on my side, riddled Mm. with negations, get ready for it. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't suffer. It's that I know the unimportance of suffering. And that is to, whoa, wow. It's not that I don't suffer. It's that I know the unimportance of suffering. I know that it is to be tossed and thrown. I know that pain, there it is, is to be tossed and thrown aside not to be accepted as part of one's soul and as a permanent scar across one's view of conscious or of existence. Hmm. Obviously it's been 10 years since I got that because I'm starting to slip. <laughs> um, and beautiful. you guys get the message. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited for you, man. Uh, it was around page 300 that it really hooked me. So if you're already into it, it'll, it'll start yeah. rolling faster. Yeah.
1: I've also started reading some of her shorter works. Mm. She has a, a lot of, someone turned me on to her essays um, that. that do a really good job of getting into really the, the real life, the real world examples of what she, what she presents in the book, in that book.
3: Yeah. Um, the objectivism.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Vir- virtue of selfishness is the one I'm, reading now it's 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 good there this is something and i re- i realized someone the person who recommended this book to me was like yeah this is where uh, mike bledsoe got the idea of barbell shrugged from mm, i i didn't put that one together mm, that's cool yeah <clears throat> that that was uh one a good okay that's a good reason to read it uh, also <laughs> apparently that the, the Atlas Shrugged is like the second most influential book on modern society next to the Bible.
3: Yes, I really yeah. do Yes. Uh, and her <laughs> other long piece, The Fountainhead is yeah. really good as well. Uh, I read Atlas Shrugged first. I like Atlas Shrugged better. The Fountainhead is still a fantastic read with a lot of the same ideas plugged in.
1: Did you uh, chase it? Were you always a reader um, or someone who sought out new knowledge um, outside of schooling and things like that? How, where did you get that from?
3: Dude? Great question. Love it. Uh, can I, you know, hit pause. I so much enjoy conversations with you guys because we'll be off on this tangent <laughs> and then we bring it back with this great question. And it's just, let's just keep rolling.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> so,
3: my dad introduced me to reading when I was a kid. He would read to me, and uh, I, I would read slash he would read to me uh, illustrated classics for children. So like the old novels, Jules Verne, 20,000 mm-hmm. know, Leagues Under the Sea, you know, all Journey to the Center of the Earth, those pieces. Uh, Moby Dick. Moby Dick was like the first one. And I grew an affinity for reading through that. Uh, through my teenage years, it was largely adventure novels. Uh, Clive Custler was the author, and he had this whole series. I've read like thirty of his books, and then that continued. The reach for education, honestly, I think Atlas Shrugged was one of the first. That was like a mind-expanding book. That's that's the that's the background story. And Atlas Shrugged was in twenty eleven, so my first. Mind expander was at age 23.
1: Were you, um, prior to that, were you someone that um, knew you there was more out there in terms of education?
3: It's something that this is the first time I'm pondering on. Yes, and I was unsure what. Um, I had a feeling there was more, there was more of a reason for for everything, and there was a a better way to go about it. I was unsure of how to glean that information, though, that it Mm. could be just like, you know, I read, and the critical thinking skills to extrapolate that information and implement it and integrate it into my life had yet to be developed
1: i understand that so the crit- like the critical thinking skills of actually reading more into the words on the page versus reading the words on the page exactly that uh the yeah i can i can relate to that being re- reading things and learning things at a very surface level without actually and, and now the, i can conceptualize this without actually understanding what it was trying to tell me. I remember like doing, um, what was it like we did like book reports, uh, young elementary school, those kinds of things. And, and you'd have to p- identify like theme, uh, lo- location, uh, the moral quote unquote moral of the story. And, and we, we, you know, I remember just making things up as far as moral and, and reading into it. And then not really understanding okay, how does this relate to me as a person or my story, my, my life? Um, it wasn't until way later on. Um, and then even, even now, like very recently, you know, understanding how our own narratives affect us as people. Um, book, books are someone else's narrative and we, the, it, it makes you realize like a lot of this stuff is the same. A lot of people think and have the same, they have, a lot, they have the same shit that that sticks to them, you know?
3: Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic point. And one that, you know, I, I personally have gleaned in coaching. I'm like, Oh, we all, we all have something. you know. And for each individual, regardless of what it is objectively, it, uh, Relatively, that something is the, the worst something that they've experienced. And everybody has that. Where their highs are their highs and their lows are their lows. And yeah, between that and what you're saying on reading, you said that really well of reading the words on the page and not truly understanding them. And I would be at a point like with the moral of the story, like, oh, well, I I see the moral, like, I I know what it is, but like, and the real world application, like, I I don't know what that is. I didn't even know that that could be a thing that carried over. Mm. Yeah.
1: That, that, that specific problem, right. We can identify Mm -hmm. that, that as a problem, that disconnection between what we learn and what we absorb and use. That's the, that's the thing that we could get on the front Mm. end of that could help uh, that could, that could change a person, change a person's life or the trajectory of a kid's life. Now, the, the, the roadblock there is our cognitive development may not support that. It might take psychedelics at the age of 12, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> what, that's a funny better, thing. What imagine think, if imagine if they're better trip, than living on Mountain Dew. So, imagine if your first yeah. trip was uh was
3: when you were 12. Was, uh, so how we how we fix it is with psychedelics. It, it's it's with a aerosolized version of five MeO DMT over all the capitals of the world. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Dream world,
1: dream. (laughs) You ever see the movie Avatar?
2: (laughs) I'm just imagining like somebody trying to get, Legislation, hire adolescents mm-hmm. to fucking <laughs> take psilocybin and MDMA. <laughs> I
1: I imagine, dude, dude. I imagine in uh, you know you go down to Costa Rica or something like that, and and oh yeah, you got you got teenagers, yeah. you got teenagers going through their ayahuasca journey, real young. Oh, that's like yeah. part. Of, that could be part of their becoming a man, you know, at at thirteen.
2: Well, that's exactly what I said earlier about we don't have rite of passages anymore. Luckily. Yeah luckily like i think it's now in my life that i realize how much of an effect that it had on my life as a kid i wish i could have realized how much of an effect it had during the time so i would have adhered to it better but in boy scouts like we did an overnight with just a sleeping bag and Mm -hmm. a single hard-boiled egg and like a little carton of milk like that. We had this, like that we had to live on for a day. Was it a full blown go out into the wilderness and try to survive? No, but it was still an experience. Like it was still an uncomfortable experience for how old was I like 12 or 13, maybe, you know, at that time. And like society just is getting further and further and further and further away from any kind of experience like that. It's why, it's why people like Michael Cashew are starting a business based around it, like taking people on adventures and getting them away from their cell phones and having them do hard shit. And like,
1: I mean, that's why, that's why we, we're starting a business around that and we've run our day of discomfort and our events and our coaching and, and, I you I love you brought that up man I spent years in the Boy Scouts and had similar experiences and it was uh, con- that that opportunity and coming from someone who grew up in New York City right where comfort was was everywhere and we we stayed on our block you know it was that that was it and then I, I started when I started writing um, writing my book this this is like the first uh, the first concept that I introduced and the idea is like we people are um, raised and grow they grow up and they only get certain opportunities based on where they live and as you grow up that more and more opportunity becomes available yeah you can start to drive places and travel and now you can start to see things except programming conditioning from the outside world has started to shrink your desire to do that. And so we, we end up with this paradox of desire to get uncomfortable, learn more, get outside and and try new things. Um, And then on the other side is there's more and more availability to it. And especially now with, you know, you can click on Instagram and see, like the prettiest waterfalls in the world, or the most dangerous mountains, or, um, you know, shark cage diving. You could see these things. Um, and yet you'll never take action because you're programmed to look at it from a screen and say, okay, I'm good. Um, and then there's the people who got the opportunity growing up to take, in, even in small doses, get really fucking uncomfortable.
2: I'm good on that whole shark yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've snorkeled
3: with sharks before. Yeah,
1: <laughs> my my wife uh, did a did a, a great white cage diving thing, nice. and I'm, I'm I was happy watching the video. <laughs>
2: I, I I definitely would love to to go diving for sure. Sharks can be away though; they can mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're likely closer than you think, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, the rites of passage, man, where was I? <laughs> when, <laughs> the, uh, the- where were you, when?
2: <laughs> we, were, uh, when? <laughs> we were psychedelics, rites of passage, hostile takeover of education.
3: <laughs> uh, oh, the getting outdoors and that becoming more accessible and, and at the same time, less uh, accessible mentally the the modern times where we spend time indoors we live off pharmaceuticals and we have this is a very this is a fraction of time of human existence and it's a it's a cool, cool we start to unravel there are a lot of people out there that are starting to see what see it for what it is and see that we had it right for those thousands and thousands of years. And do we want to take advantage of some of the technology and cool? Yeah. There are some convenience factors and there's certain ways about how we lived for eons that works and, and worked for them and will work in the future.
2: We need to take pages out of ready player one and have days where we shut everything off. Yes. Like, like what,
3: otherwise what are,
2: we, what are people yeah. going to do then? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, oh.
3: we will be at Ready Player One.
2: We'll go outside. <laughs> my my phone doesn't work on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I used to when I
3: was a kid. I rode my bike around my neighborhood just to keep myself busy. And I would have my headphones on, and I could ride around with no a BMX bike. I could ride around with no hands and like make the turns on the streets and just be paddling around the neighborhood for no reason except for there was nothing else to do.
2: My daughter the other day was like, I'm bored. I was like, it's okay to be bored. She's like, no, mm. it's not.
1: <laughs> okay to, it's okay she's to like, be bored. She's
2: like, no, it's not. I was like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, it is. Well, I mean, so. that's that's out of the comfort crisis where he was talking about uh, boredom and, and how being out there in Alaska and having no phone service and literally nothing to do except for sit and watch the sky and wait for a caribou like what what are you going to do you're going to be bored your mind is going to wander you're going to be creative i uh i ran into this opportunity the other day um uh i was sitting waiting for my car's oil to get changed and my phone's battery got down to like five percent and i put my phone in my backpack and i was like i was like i'm gonna not use it so it stays on for a little bit but i'm gonna sit here and i didn't have i didn't have my book with me so it's not like i could have started reading something i literally just sat there and looked around and thought mm. when was the last time some of the people that are listening to this have stopped what they're doing put everything away and literally just sat with their own thoughts in Ooh, quiet That's in a good quiet. question
3: like a, like a meditation practice
1: <laughs> or as simple as uh just sitting with boredom
2: yeah not even not even without
1: intention you know yeah
2: yeah Yeah. without intention that's what i'm really getting at is okay you know like
1: and the prescription is do it with intention
3: yeah do it do it with intention without intention sit (laughs) sit down and uh and intend to do nothing (laughs) that's beautiful well and like i know for that's For a myself, fear-based that, thing that too. only happens on a walk right mm-hmm. now. Like, like if I'm sitting down, not doing anything, I'm likely then going to grab a journal or do something like the one time that I'm truly alone. My thoughts is out on deviceless walks. It's
1: interesting that you say like even a journal, even journaling is not uh, completely detached. Right. And and it's, you're still doing something and
3: yeah. And when you're still looking at the words, mm-hmm. right. Like I, I, at the point when it's taking your hand, the time to form them, then you're, you get to see it. And there's a, there's a certain magic to what Ron is talking about where you get, you're in the dealership and your oil's getting changed. And next thing you know, you're in a spot where you're going to be with you. That's cool. I imagine
1: that, uh, you know, looking at nowadays, Ron said something about like hiding the cell phone on Saturdays, like it doesn't work. And, and I know for me, a lot of times, uh, you know, if I forget my phone somewhere, there's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little mini panic attack that happens because we, there's the, there's the fear of missing out. There's um, the fear of boredom that gets, you know, we, we don't have that opportunity to actually sit with it. And of course, the less you do something, the less likely you're going to want it. And, and the more, Exposure you to have more exposure you have to something like being without the communication or the instant gratification of of Facebook or um, being able to Google something when you're unsure or find directions like there there's there's a lot of fear around that there's a little, there's there's some some stress there's some anxiety um, and it's it's as if we're not allowed to be bored and have thoughts of our own way there's there's constantly influence
3: yeah and one piece for that 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 i am a big fan of and admittedly uh fall off of from time to time is not looking at my phone for the first two hours of my day like i'll i'll put that sucker in the microwave because i swear if it's even out like Little fucking radio, radio waves are trying to get you. me to open it up. Yeah. It's so magnetic. I'll, I'll stick it in the microwave, and hopefully I start it one of these days and I just fry the thing.
2: And for now, <laughs> it's in
3: there for the first couple hours of the day.
1: Mm. That's a good practice to- to, uh,
2: to microwave your phone?
1: To microwave your phone <laughs> at least every other Tuesday because- It keeps the microwave working really hard.
2: The Verizon (laughs) store is so happy. (laughs) That sales rep loves you. (laughs) Apple Apple stock right now. Chase
1: Chase gets uh, an upgrade every other week.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm actually testing the iPhone 22 right now.
1: They love you. Apple care covers it too. There's uh, (laughs) a... (laughs) <laughs> that, that I've actually do it. I've tried that I've tried to uh, go the morning or have a couple of hours without, um, without opening the phone or looking at technology and, and it's so habitual man it's it's so instinctual to get up and, and open something or um, check the texts or check the email it's such it becomes such a, like a common thing and there's there there's so many different triggers for it it's not like a lot of habits that have just one trigger so you can get in front of it and and be able to mitigate it right with the phone there's so many there's that phantom vibration in your pockets you're constantly like checking to see if something came up or um there's the as soon as you wake up you reach over to to hit it because it's on the nightstand or something like that and 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 Everything we do, we've, we've been able to attach now to technology.
3: So that whole having the phone on the nightstand, they still make alarm clocks. Yeah, they do. (laughs) I I, I, like, I I did it. I I went and I bought a little $15 alarm alarm clock off Amazon. And my phone is plugged in in the bathroom. Now I'm about to move it downstairs because I go in to brush my teeth in the morning. And to your point, it's face yeah. down in there. And I go in and brush my teeth and I, I'll flip it open. I'm like, I, sh- I shouldn't be doing this right now. What am I doing? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Just it's going to be more addictive <laughs> than cocaine. Yeah.
1: And, and you turn it over and face ID and it, it unlocks and shows you all your notifications, man. Yep. Yeah.
3: And it's going to start getting plugged in like downstairs in the kitchen. Maybe I'll put an outlet like in the microwave. I'm sure that's totally logical.
2: I wish I wish the put I wish your microwave that the car I wish that the car didn't have to be on to charge it. You just mm. leave it in the car,
1: or just leave mm. it dead. Charge it when you sit down in your office, or
3: yeah, there's an idea. Just let it die overnight.
1: One thing I did is is uh, got rid of social media on my phone Com- completely. Um, got it, put it on the iPad, so everything I have to open the iPad. To, to check instagram or facebook which uh yeah it's easy enough to open the thing up but but i'm not going to do it while i'm driving
2: it's it's a lot less convenient
1: yeah it's it's yeah. It, it requires work um, and then right on the home screen of my ipad i'm looking at it so i have i have these things in folders right so all my social media is under marketing it's in the marketing folder that's so I well, know that, there's a subconscious cue that when I open that folder i'm I'm thinking post create, not absorb I
3: love that that's that's genius right there you know i've uh, I've, I've had clients who went through and renamed you know grouped their apps and renamed them in affirmations yeah, i like I've got some and, of those you know, too social media to I love people you know stuff mm. like that uh and, and it's it's programming. You're teaching your. You said it, and I'm going to reiterate it for my own absorption, and that's beautiful. They're like creating the pathways in your brain that here's where I go for marketing. Because I want that my wife's take to this is me for like the next twenty minutes. Mm. That's just why.
1: <laughs> There's another um quote, this one. Where is hold on? Your ability to handle stress is directly related to you being willing to be uncomfortable.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah.
1: The 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 willingness is the key,
3: the key word there. I go as far as like the old adage being comfortable, being uncomfortable, like Mm -hmm. get to the point that like your comfort zone is in stepping out of your comfort zone. And to me, okay. Calling back your earlier thing about anxiety around not taking action. How the hell is that a comfort zone to me? That, that, that is discomfort. The comfort zone is when you are living in such alignment that you're taking the fast action to create the life that you want. And I I really think they've got us backwards. They've Mm -hmm. got it flipped through the ages, and they've taught everybody that this is the comfort zone, when really that's discomfort.
2: I mean, it was discomfort enough for us. Yeah. Mm.
1: Well, there's one moment, you know, there's a moment in time that you – let's call it like a, you know, the tipping point. That's a, that's another book, by the way, really good book. I've read, read Seth Godin, I believe. Um, Yeah. The tipping point is that one particular instance or thing that needs to be done where you'll go from the dis the quote unquote comfort to discomfort back to comfort. Right. So we, so, we we know and this is where we started our conversation before you got on with us chase is like you know the other side of of fear but that that moment that what, what where's the what's the point in time where you're now on the other side right you you were on that side and now now we're on the other side right what's this that before and after kind of thing and and that that moment is the quote unquote the tipping point where we briefly so briefly are uncomfortable for that for that one instance
3: that i like that a lot
1: when we um you know i'm into high altitude mountaineering climbing i have dreams of summiting everest and some other difficult peaks and we refer to um enjoying this stuff even though it sucks it's really uncomfortable there's when you're when you're up at at altitude and it's cold and you struggle to breathe and sleep and there's risks of everything and death is knocking at your doorstep most of the time it's 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 what we call type two fun because before that trip right you're really excited you're flying out to uh your location or you're driving to the base of that trail and then you start hiking and you're like this is wonderful and then at some point that changes to wow this is miserable why am i doing this <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you, you you hit the the summit or you turn around it's the halfway point you get off you get back to your your hotel or you get back to the bar you have a beer with your friends and you're like wow that was the best thing ever so there's that there's the tipping point and it's the the type two fun the fun that uh that you can look back on and say with pride that you got to do it and then that's it's addicting you want to do it again (laughs) you want to keep going because that and this is another i love we, we always go with quotes on oh, no. this uh, this podcast. And I remember the last episode we did with you, Chase. We just kept quoting things. It was fun. Um <laughs> Man, what is it? Like the 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 more uh uncomfortable something is, like the more rewarding it is. Something around that.
3: That was in the It's I'm unsure I of the quote, the direct quote that you're referencing, and it echoes what I was thinking in my head when you were talking about that. Like that that's the fun. That reminds you that you're alive. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Gratefulness comes up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Badass dude. What's the uh, what's the highest peak you've climbed?
1: Uh, fourteen thousand four hundred eleven. I think.
3: Yeah.
2: Where's Where that? was at? that?
1: That's that's um that's Mount Rainier. Yeah. Washington. I was just talking to, uh, our friend Cody. Um, he wants, he wants in on this stuff. So we're planning, uh, we're planning to, to, uh, to train and, and, uh, plan for Everest. So that's you guys uh, got a timeline. on that? He wants, he's saying five years is where he wants to be at. And I'm, uh, my original goal was, was, yeah between five and seven years
3: from now what kind gotta, of training, type in what do you do peaks between fourteen and everest type between yeah now and then? yeah, so I mean that would that would be double
0: mm-hmm.
3: everest is is
1: like twenty eight thousand so that'd be about double and and um some things between now and then uh. Yeah. Denali is, is high up there on the list. That's the tallest peak in the United States, 20, 22,000, 20,000 feet. Also the, the the deadliest um,
3: mountain in the world. Um, But the, the adventure is insane. More deadly than Everest. Yeah. So I watched that movie that came out a couple of years ago and I didn't realize it was a documentary around that X, the group that went just completely wrong Yeah, on Everest and a bunch of people ended up dying until like enough people were dying that I was like, this isn't fiction. Mm -hmm. Like they wouldn't write this in Hollywood. And I started, looked at, I was like, Oh, this really happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a trip.
1: It is. Uh, and, and and yeah, for, for sure. Um, a lot of people die, die doing it. Mm-hmm. And going back to the points we were talking about before and and your when you said your death resistance in terms of your mindset that's that's the biggest um thing I've noticed when I talk to people who who have done this who have done um these seemingly insurmountable peaks and and we could go with um high altitude mountaineering or talk about people who just do cool things who do, who do things that, that other people would look at and, and say that this is crazy. And, and I noticed these people have a really great relationship to death or they've come to terms with it.
3: That, that makes sense. Uh, my father comes to mind. He owns two, he's 61 years old and owns two, uh, aerobatic airplanes Flies the piss out of them. So, yeah. <laughs> There's
1: something. I, Im-
2: I yeah. imagine that. I imagine that the people who are successful at things like Denali and Everest are extremely humble. Because, mm. because if your ego gets in the way, mm-hmm. like, like I have to keep going when things are going wrong. Yeah, you know, like, like. Well, like,
1: that's that's the skill that separates the people who survive and the people who don't.
2: Yeah, you it's, know, like it
1: comes to decision making, and yeah, there are accidents,
2: of course.
3: Have you read uh, the Survival Code? No, it's a uh, it's a great book that talks about. Uh, one of the stories in there is, uh, a group of snowmobilers, and they're out, and I think these guys were. They work for the national park. like they're out there all the time and they go riding by. And this one slope was closed due to avalanche risk. And one guy goes ripping up it. Another one goes following them. They both get chewed up by the avalanche. The rest of them got out of there. And it talks about the mechanisms in there and why people act the way they do in situations and why some of them make their choices where they live and some make the choices where they die.
2: uncomfortable uncomfortable silence there for a second
3: he looked pensive he
2: looked pensive no i'm i'm I'm
1: comfortable man i'm comfortable and i'm you know this this topic uh comes up a lot and um
2: i mean we just talked about it with alex yeah in in my opinion, like death is the last thing to be afraid of. It's what chase said though the amount the insurmountable amount of pain that the people close to us experience when we go. Mm-hmm. that's like through some of my darkest times, thinking about that is what kept me here is like, I can't do that like what, you know, when considerations went through my head, I'm like, I can't do that to my mom. Like, I can't, like, that would only take my problems away and create Mm. a whole shitload of other problems for other people. So like, man,
1: if you, you know, my mind is going in in a weird direction with this, but, but bear, bear with me for a moment. What if our resistance to that because of our fear of hurting the people around us is actually holding us back from what's on the other side of death, which could be mm. better for, um, I don't, I'm trying to find a better word than better, but, uh,
3: So enter the matrix,
1: you know, here, here we are in, in, in our create, in our, in the story we've created, the narrative that, that we've, we've decided is important. And yes, there will be sorrow in others because we know that when other people die, we feel sorrow yet. How do we know that they are, um, that there is, that it's a bad thing and that it isn't the best thing that ever happened to those two people.
3: It's, a, it's an existential a very thing. Fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very fair existential thing to bring up. And uh, one of the thought processes that rolls through my head often that uh, makes my little brother passing a whole lot easier. Also, I have to correct myself. It's not survival code, it's deep survival. Mm. It's been a couple of years since I read it. Deep survival Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why by mm-hmm. Lawrence Gonzalez. Wow, boys!
2: so you were saying though the, about the thing that makes handling the situation with your brother a little bit more bearable yeah, yeah. W- what is that like specific what do you
3: knowing that um and and it may be uh, after being on enough psychedelic journeys of uh, just uh theories that i have for myself around death, that this is an experience we go through to learn. And as we exit this experience, we're, in my opinion, we're just going back to being us. You know, and on the other side of that, like, I'll see Ian again, you know, on the other side of it, and his death will just be like, oh, yeah, I remember that happened. Like, cool, that was part of the journey. Mm. Not like a, oh my God, I'm so sad that you were gone for so you know, and for some context, my brother was 27 years old and passed away completely unexpectedly, just suddenly boom, gone. Uh, mm. And it would wreck most families. Like, yeah, I'm still grieving. I fuck, I was crying in my sleep the other night. Like I'm, I have sad moments. My brother's dead and- uh, I'm also a fucking gangster and, uh, and um, I am uh, very much so equipped to deal with this and to be the rock for my family. And I've had a couple of sessions with a very OG uh, gangster and lifted coach and my family is working with some people and, and it's all good. Like I, I got told today that we are an example of how to handle this. So when you have the tools and when you have and I really think it goes back to also what we were talking about to start the show, you know to bring full comfortable with the actions you take, then other people will be able to see you go easier. We all know damn well that my brother lived every minute of his life to become the person that he was becoming mm-hmm. that answers that
0: I love,
1: I love, um, I love it, man. And I, and it is, I am inspired, um, by the way you talk about this situation that yes, other families would likely crumble and have a really hard time. And, and to hear your, your, your ability to speak spin things positively and feel sad is and that that is that is admirable and 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 really vulnerable to you can a lot of a lot of times people will show one one or the other and it's inauthentic sometimes when people are um, trying their hardest to suppress and that's what we know causes a lot of Mm-hmm. trauma down the line which is the suppression of these these feelings and and i imagine you allow yourself to sit with these emotions just like i would yeah I, I i learned last a week ago a friend a family friend passed away and uh and he's not someone i was remarkably close with i did care for the person at one point and we've spoken a, a lot and um and i remember when i when i I I heard about it on Facebook and I was just talking to the guy two days before about getting him healthy, you know, working, starting to work out. And, and I cried, you know, sitting on my couch just started crying uncontrollably for 30 minutes or so. And I, this was one of the first times in my, in my life that I allowed myself to sit with that. Whereas I would usually suppress it and, and, you know, do the breath work and 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 go distract myself with something else or or whatever or something like that. And it and it was really a powerful moment and experience to sit with this thing. And then all all kinds of things come up, like fear and and uh, my des- and desires and and my own relationship to death and and to life.
3: Yeah, it, it's powerful to have those those tools to be at both ends of it. You know, I was able to be the rock for my family through that whole day when you know, my brother got taken to the hospital and then we got told that, Hey, sorry, his brain went with oxygen for too long. And then, you know, and I was able to be that person for them. And I was able to come home while we were changing clothes and getting the dogs to go back to my parents after he passed and cry. I was able to go back to my parents and be the rock for them. They'll come home, go to sleep exhausted, and then wake up Sunday morning and break down Uh, and lay in bed, like, like broke down. And then I, and then I come back out of it. And when I feel it, I go all in, I dive into the deep end. When I saw my uncle hug my dad, when he first got back to the house and, uh, and I realized that I'd never again get to hug my brother while he was in his meat suit. That one hit me square in the, in the heart. And I went out in the garage. I didn't see that one coming. I had owned the fact that my brother was dead. I was like, oh, like Ian's dead. What I didn't see coming was all the little things that would get me. So this was the first one. And it helped create awareness. So now when I go to kickboxing, which was mine and his thing to do, I'm able to be in there. because so I was ready for that. When I first saw and realized that I had got my last hug from my brother on this plane, I was out in my parents' garage for half an hour, sitting in it. That's it. Yeah. It's, yeah, man. That's that's how we do it. You know, can be there, hold space, and also own your space.
1: Powerful. We we Thank Ron and I. Me riff. Yeah, man, dude. Thank you. And and. Ron and I were talking the other day um, about, about a, a situation with my son that mm-hmm. I, I'd shared with him. And, you know, Ron asked me if I'm, if I'm okay, if I'm handling things well. And uh, my response okay. to him was something in line. Of What's that?
2: I, was, I just wanted to interrupt real quick and, and, yeah. uh, and say that in the moment, when you were telling me everything, I was just kind of like taken back. Yeah. And then some time had went by and I thought about it for a second and I was like, I can't imagine having a newborn and experiencing what you're experiencing right now. And it kind of just overwhelmed me. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was when I reached out and and sent you that message.
1: Yeah. And, and I appreciated that. Um, And there, you, you brought up a perspective in something I was not thinking about because I'm, I've conditioned myself and trained myself so much to, to, so, okay, something came up. All right, well, let's deal with it. Let's do what we need to do. And, and, and that's just part of like my pattern when, when, when bad shit happens, right. When things that are scary are there existing and and when you asked me, um, you know, you said, "Hey, you know, it's okay if you're feeling upset or if you're, uh, it, it, you know, I'm You asked me how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it struck me a bit, and and I I remember responding with this philosophical thing like acting in opposition to nature is counterproductive. And and I went into this. I, I've been reading about this. Uh, this philosophy, this Chinese philosophy of wu wei, which means uh, do nothing, and it's the the idea of a paradox between well, nature ha- in, has its intentions and things are going to happen, and the best thing we could do is nothing about it because any any t- any time we try to push against um, nature, we we will lose either emotionally, like internally, we'll lose that battle. And it'll be a struggle for us because we'll be dealing with a lot of frustration and could be resentment or anxiety or stress. It's unnecessary. Um, On the other side of that, our desire to fight back is part of nature. And looking at that, that philosophy this do nothing philosophy, I look into um, you know, and we could we could close on this, I, I imagine, unless you guys have more thoughts, but it ties into everything you've been talking about. The 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 more we we lean into to resistance, we lean into what we perceive as um the tipping point, the danger the scary thing, the thing we're most afraid of or resistant to in the moment right? that, that, that'll help us to um, feel feel more fulfilled that um, but even even if it means us fighting for a bit, even if it means us leaning into our sadness, our emotion, process it be, sit with it, deal with the pain for a bit, struggle. What what comes what's on the other side of that? You know what what are the what are the good things that we could uh, we could gain?
3: Well said. Everything. Is that? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Everything. What are things <laughs> we gain? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I was
1: leaving it open ended, and I love these I love these yes. conversations, Chase. Man, thank you for coming back.
3: I I was so ant to come on, and. <laughs> Before I got on, I, I cast a little spell. I was like, man, that was a rad conversation before mm-hmm. I even came on. I was speaking about it in the past tense. So this is every time. It's a joy, boys.
1: What's up? what's next for you, man? What's What do you got going on?
3: Mm, thanks for asking. Well- I will be exiting the physical gym location space soon uh, one way or the other the certain the exact way is figuring itself out and my brother was always good at providing perspective and him passing his brought more uh, I missed out on take that back I didn't miss out I made choices and I made choices that I'm comfortable with um, I and there are videos and pictures that I am not in because I left early or because I just couldn't take that not to that long weekend because I run my business and that's fine. I made those choices. I am comfortable with it and to for the negation version that I am not beating myself up about it. And moving forward, I have the ability to make the choice. So the gym is uh, going to be a thing of the past going completely online with my coaching. I'm building out a, uh, a 12-week program gonna have videos for everybody to go with it, gonna be really beautifully built out and branded. Uh probably man pathway will be will have the polish on it. So it's gonna be gonna be cool. That will launch the first iteration of that will launch mid-February. If you want to work with me before then, I am still taking on one-on-one clients actively. So that's what I've got going on and Got to plug the hero's journey. Myself, Austin Linney, Dennis, and Anthony Meralda from Building Men in Lake Tahoe, April 28th to May 1st. It's going to be a hell of a weekend. It sounds exciting. And to, to
1: hear more about this, I'm, I'm sure you talk about that on your podcast all the time, right? Primal Man Pathway Podcast. Is that what it is?
3: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm Primal, Primal Man, Man. Pathway. Sure. Yeah,
1: beautiful. Love it. Thanks for sharing everything today and being vulnerable.
3: Appreciate it, man. I appreciate you.